2: you <laughs>
3: Thank you for that. And welcome to another live edition of Letting Sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast, border to border, and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. On a humble. But you get that? 1 800 878 7529. Get you in and get you heard wherever you might happen to be listening in this great land of ours. Yeah, that's right. This great land of ours. Come on in, and we want to hear from you. I really do. Yeah. Kind of. I talk sports. I'll be doing it for the next three hours, and um, we will get a little bit of uh, other folks in. What does that mean? Uh, Brian Selznick has written an amazing new book called Big Tree. It's about my, no, he'll be on at 940 Pacific Time. Danell Rawlings, always hilarious comedian. He'll join us at 1040. He's at Helium Philly. We'll check in with our friends over at ProWagering.com at 1110. But other than that, this show's wide open. The wide open space is 1-800-878-PLAY. Call me up and let's talk football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, boxing, Olympics, go to trouble, chess checkers, rugby, cricket. <clears throat> I went on a hike yesterday after my show. I got back three hours later, my knee was barking, and I looked down, and it said 11.1 miles, and now I realize that was a little bit too far. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, call me up, help me out, <laughs> let's talk some sports, 1-800-878-7529, one 800 878 Seven five two nine. My name is Rick Tittle. It's coast to coast and around the world on American Forces Radio Network. If you're in the military, I'm on your side. You're doing a great job. Stay safe. Come home soon. We're on the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio app. Stitch your app, twitch.tv. The Twitter's at Rick Tittle. Come on back.
4: If you have certain chronic conditions such as heart disease, asthma, diabetes, and you're 19 years of age or older, 52,
5: 36,
4: 42, you may be at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20. Pneumococcal 20-valent conjugate vaccine, a Pfizer vaccine that can help protect against pneumococcal pneumonia in just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower risk. Response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1 855 213 2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. I'm going to ask my doctor
5: about getting vaccinated
4: with Prevnar20.
3: Oh, I don't know about genius, but I mean, if you say so yourself, blah, blah, blah. Rick Tittle, with you coast to coast, come on in and get heard. We'd love to hear from you. We have some open lines, and uh, just don't, don't be shy. Just quit being so shy for once. You stop being so shy. One eight hundred, your honor. She was being really shy. One 878 Play. Come on in, and let's talk some sports. So, um. Major League Baseball is underway, and it feels good. Donut, D-O-U-G-H-N-E-T. Donut? Some people spell it D-O-N-E-T. I think it's acceptable. I like to go with the full (coughs) consonants there and the extra vowel. But um, it's uh, pretty cool um, that we finally have this thing going, and it was pretty cool last night when I saw my team the Oakland A's actually win a game Shane Bieber starting for the Guardians and he's about as good as he gets the same where was he for Team USA but um, you know I remember it was a quote that Hank Greenwald said the, the Giants announcer many many years ago it was at least 20 years ago and he said baseball players today are much better athletes but they're not better baseball players And what he meant was, you'll see a Willie Mays catch every night on ESPN. You'll see the fastest, strongest, most fit guys you've ever seen. But you see guys who can't hit a cutoff man, who take horrible angles on the ball, who don't turn their glove right. And that was just encapsulated by Cleveland last night. You have this guy, Mike Zanino, who was drafted in the first round by the Mariners out of Mariner High School, funnily enough. And I remember John Baker was in the Mariners organization at the time. And he said he got rushed to the big leagues because he could hit. He says, he's got to learn how to catch. And there was a pitch that Bieber threw last night with guys on base and <laughs> guy at third. And I almost said Max Stazzy. Zanino had his glove in the normal position as the catcher. And then he tried to turn it the other way like palms up and then he tried to turn it and then all of a sudden the pitch is on him and it hits him in the wrist and it should have been a pass ball for some reason it was a wild pitch but he didn't know how to hold his glove for the pitch that he called and at that point you just figured you'd be like a hockey goalie and just get on two knees and block it Um, the A scored a couple of runs early to go up 2 nothing, and then basically gave him back J.P. Sears gave him both back but and J.P. Sears looks like a guy who was called up from A-ball to make an emergency start, like this little kid, nervous wreck. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Cleveland missed three cutoff men and uh, two throws to the plate that were way offline, and both times the throws were made, they were thrown off the wrong foot. In other words, if you're a right-handed thrower... You want to throw off your left foot pointing in the direction of where you're going. And, look, these are people, and every once in a while you're going to get a little tied up. But it was just bad, fundamental baseball. And Cleveland is a much better team than the A's. They're going to the playoffs. Playoffs? And it's just they threw away a Shane Bieber start because they didn't know how to play defense. And it was really weird. The night before, Connor Capel is in right field. And he takes a ridiculous angle on a single, and he was given an error. <clears throat> but then it was changed to a triple because it never touched his glove. I hate that rule. Now, the A's are no picnic either defensively, obviously. There was a play that could have been brutal where their center fielder, Estuary, by the Estuary Ruiz, was coming in on a Texas League. Tony Kemp at second base was running out. Neither one said a word. And it looked like they nailed each other. Kemp landed on his back. All that happened was was Ruiz's glove hit Kemp in the back of the head, and it ripped his glove off. That's all that happened. They were very lucky. And Kemp dropped the ball. But I think the most frustrating one of all, and he got an E3 for it, and he deserved it, was Rule 5 first baseman Ryan Noda. Okay, there's a pop-up foul territory. This guy, Carlos Perez is catching for the A's. I had no idea who he was. It sounds like a name you should know. And then you are like, Carlos Perez. And then I looked him up and he's had a cup of coffee with like five different organizations. Anyway, (laughs) he's on the team because Manny Pena is hurt, but he goes over to the Indians guardians dugout. He's standing there getting ready to catch a foul pop up. Ryan Noda from first base, he's coming in, he's coming in, he's coming in, slams into him at the last second, and the ball pops out. And you watch the replay, and Perez is going, you can see his lips. I got it, I got it, I got it, three times. And then as soon as Noda bumps into him and the ball pops away, he says three times, my bad, my bad, my bad. (laughs) And he got an E3 which is very rare to see when you don't touch the ball. But he deserved it, and I'm glad he got it. Uh, And he ended up scoring the winning run, and who cares, right? It's all water under the bridge. But it was just, not just from Cleveland, but from Oakland, just horrible fundamental baseball. And I'm like, this is the big leagues? Like, those are things... Like when I see us, Ruiz, uh, who's a pretty exciting player, but when he swings and misses, his head pulls all the way around like he's eight years old. Like his head is not in the zone with his eyes looking down. He just kind of spins around like he lifts his back foot. And so all I could think of was like what Hank Greenwald was saying, if you look at Estuary Ruiz as an athlete, he probably could compete and do well in several different olympic sports and i'm not even kidding but as far as playing baseball the fundamentals were just either not taught or not ingrained and and i've watched baseball long enough that it's glaring it's glaring so amazing athletes every pitcher now comes in at 96 All right. And then it goes up, 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 and up. And every pitcher is trying to strike you out now. There's, as Mark Mulder was saying the other day, there's no more pitch to contact anymore. Very few guys pitch to contact. And so they're trying to blow you away. And now with launch angles and exit velocity, these things that to me mean absolutely nothing, it's like he hit it hard. He hit it 107.3. I don't, that means nothing to me. I just know that he nailed it. He hit it on the screws. He got it on the grain. He had the label up or down. Right? Right. <clears throat> so, but with all these, everyone's trying to hit a home run and everyone's trying to strike you out. This is why Major League Baseball now has put in all these pitch clocks and everything else. We saw, we'll talk about it. We saw a game in last night or a guy get thrown out because of a pitch clock violation. We saw a complete game in less than 2 hours. It's uh it's a new it's a new brand of baseball. I heard Mike Kruko broadcaster for the Giants said, "You know, in a game we have all these promos to read like Star Wars night with Boba Fett," as he said, you know, or make sure he goes, "We can't even read the promos anymore because the pitch clock's going." I wondered yesterday when Miles Straw of the Ast- the Astros, he's not the Astros anymore. Of the Guardians When he broke his bat He was rubbing down a new bat So the pitch clock doesn't start then No it didn't When he got near the box Then the umpire does the thing There was a thing where the A's Somebody hit a double And the umpire at second base Did the home run finger And it was like Is it the home run finger Is it the go to the break finger Or is it Wind the clock I don't know, we're all in the early days here. Come on back.
5: Remember in the beginning, when you first started to build a life for you and your family?
1: that's 800 278 1738
3: You spent over a decade in the Middle East, and I just wanted to say that I'm a great fan of your work. Well, thank you, I you very would, much. For don't that. interrupt me, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
10: You must be crazy. Use a D-O-G. And if you was my man, I would have been kicked you out of my house by now. This is what had happened.
3: All right. Thank you for that. And uh, I forgot to get Twitch going, but it's going now. Twitch.tv. Search for sports byline. Don't just search for titillating. You might have something baudry and tawdry. Uh Lines are open. one 800 A play Brian Selznick, his new book, Big Tree, is going to be a big hit. Wasn't that a, a Honey dripper song, too? Oh, wait. No, that was Big Log. Big right. Log. As I mentioned... The new rules, I, uh, you know, I was talking about Mark Mulder, and he said, could you imagine a playoff game ending on a pitch clock violation? And the answer is yes, because we just saw it. We saw it in spring training, uh, and we just saw it yesterday as well. But let's go to the phone lines, and let's talk to my main man in Manhattan, Charlie. What's going on, Charlie?
11: Rick. You had uh yesterday towards the end of the show, a guy on from Jody forster's Army. I'm not familiar with that with that band I, I like you, I was big into the punk scene back in the day. Are you familiar with the New York punk scene or were you more because well, you are obviously from california uh, and I don't even know if there's a big difference but uh that was a band I had never heard of and I used to you know back in the day for us uh was like the you know Ramones were were you know, we worship the Ramones and bands like the New York Dolls and uh, whoever else Blondie. Even um, we're, we're, is there was there a difference between the two scenes?
3: Well, yeah, that CBGB crowd you mentioned, the New York Dolls—they had like the, they kind of glammed it up—and uh, the Ramones will always be the kings. There's no doubt. Um, I forgot what avenue or what street it is in the East Village. I think it's 12th. That's now Ramones yeah. Street, or whatever, <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. Uh, yeah. by St Mark's, I think, <clears throat> but um yep. but yeah, the New York scene was kind of the the originators of it, and then you know, for me, as a kid, I loved uh the dead Kennedys because they were a San Francisco band, and um I loved uh, for me, it was the English punk scene that I was really into, like the exploited and bands like that, but yeah, and then the right. you know l a was huge too with. The Descendants and all those great bands coming out of there. The JFA was uh, actually a Phoenix band, but uh, yeah, New York was kind of like the the OGs of it all.
11: Yeah, and Black Flag is uh, more of a California yeah, uh, sure like that
3: scene.
11: Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not. You said you still go to see shows and stuff like that. I'm not. Uh, I mean. The, I, I, I've been out of touch with with that scene for a while, and um, you know, obviously CBGB's closed, and, uh, and the Ramones are no—you know—half the members are
3: gone. They're all gone.
11: Um, they're all gone. Yeah. Technically, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, no. It's just uh, I just had some uh, flashbacks to to my youth and uh, the damage we would uh, do. Were you ever that to see? Did you ever get into CBGB's?
3: I never, um, I never went to see. I, I didn't get to New York until I was like a full grown up, so I didn't really. Oh, okay, <laughs> I didn't go. And the fun, the funny thing is about CBGB's is that almost every band, and even like the Talking Heads, started there. They all it's said Talking
11: Heads, it's another.
3: Yeah, they all said we hated that place. Everyone did, but that was the only place that would let us play.
11: Oh, it was a, it was dump, and there yeah. and they, they, they were. Uh, I, I had been there a couple of times, but in In a variety of altered states, but they were known for the the bathroom should have been uh, d- demolished the bathroom should have been <laughs> condemned i mean it was, i mean that's what it was known for well i mean it was the music too but yeah, no, everyone hated the place it was just the only place you know the only place in in, in the area that had bands like that mm-hmm. so, but but talking like i when I see a band when I hear like talking it's a great band, I love them, but they're not really punk no that wasn't really a punk. Band. No. I mean Blondie was really so they were in that scene but I never considered them punk. Not, yeah, not everybody Blondie who went
3: punk. not not everybody who went through CBGB's obviously was punk. And there are some people who no, think No, absolutely. Yeah, and there's there's a big difference between new wave. I remember talking to somebody in in college and they were like I I and they said, "Oh, I love punk." And I said, "What's your favorite band?" And they said, "B52s." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's not <laughs> Yeah, that's <I> mean, not <laughs> <laughs> That's no, not no. Punk, there's, so.
11: there's a, I love new wave. I loved a lot of those new wave bands sure. back in the day: Block of Seagulls, Human League, and all that But the, Adam Ants and uh, but the, uh, but the, the, well, maybe Adam Ant would be considered when it was Adam and the Ants. I don't know. Maybe they were more considered punk. But yeah, you no. Know, I just uh, just that whole scene, the New York Doll. It was just uh, I, I, and like I I don't know if you do. I don't consider Green Day punk. When you when, when you when you when you put a show on Broadway, when you have a musical on Broadway, that that officially officially takes you off the uh, list of being a punk band. I mean, they're a good band. I'm not a fan of them, but a lot of people say, "Well, they're the modern day uh, uh, punk band." Oh, uh, you you are you into Green Day? You're,
3: no. Uh, oh, Green Green Day. That Dookie album in the mid '90s was a great album, but it's it's absolutely yeah. Absolutely. It, it's pop. They used to be called Young Children, and they're from. The, the drummer actually went to my high school. They, they, they're, I mean, he's much younger than me. <clears throat> they're a band. Yeah, they're from the Bay Area. Yeah, they're from Contra Costa County, like me. And they started off in in uh, Rodeo and Hercules before they got to Gilman and Berkeley. They were their band was called Young Children, and they did play punk. And then once oh, they,
11: absolutely early on, yeah,
3: yeah. But then I mean, Dookie is a pop album. That's that to me is just like I would call it alt rock. I wouldn't call it punk.
11: Yeah, exactly. But I and, I and I I don't know. I have very few things that tweak me nowadays. But when when some of my my kids my kids friends and they say Green Day is a punk band, I'm like, don't let's not go there,
12: man. <laughs>
11: let's just not go there. But put on Nevermind the bollocks by a Sex Pistols. There you go. Punk. Anyway, right, this was a non-sports conversation, just strictly music. Since you're I you're, like it. you're a worldly man and you yeah. cover all topics. I wanted to just talk music. Anyway, that's all I got, buddy.
3: Thanks a lot. I I appreciate it. Yeah, that New York scene, the Ramones were the kings. I mean, because even though the New York Dolls started first, I mean, New York Dolls were almost the 60s. I think I might say 71, 72. And then the Ramones came in around 74. But uh, there was, New York had bad brains. They had the cramps. I've sung Goo Goo Muck, uh, karaoke a couple of times. Um agnostic front was a new york band the dictators were out of new york but then people started thinking like you know the, the lines got moved and they're like oh yeah the beastie boys were like that beastie boys um <clears throat> they tried a little bit of punk in like 1979 but they are a rap band as far as i'm concerned and i and believe me i love the beastie boys we had that license to ill uh album When I was set, there was one season of lacrosse practice. This one guy had this station wagon with this huge sound system. And and I grew up in an area that was, you know, very, very diverse. And then I went to a college that was like lily white. So there was (laughs) one guy had the Beats in his car. And at practice, it was much more loose than the football team, obviously. But at lacrosse practice, he would pull his station wagon up onto the field and then he would have the license to ill tape cassette and then he just had it on repeat so it would turn over and then play the other side. And I swear we would listen to that uh, album. And so now whenever I hear any of those songs, it just takes me back to my lacrosse days in 1986, 87, whatever it was. Maybe it was 88, 87, somewhere in there. But, um, yeah, I mean... The Ramones, some people will say, well, they're, you know, they're more bubblegummy. They're really not. It's just at the time, if you wanted to get on the radio, you couldn't talk about F this, F that. And, and maybe they weren't great musicians just playing. I mean, but then again, ACDC too, you know, A chord, D chord. All I know is I saw Angus Young in concert do like a 10 minute solo and anybody who says he can't play his guitar should see that. But getting back to the Ramones, all their songs kind of sounded the same, but they were catchy as hell. You know, they were kind of like the Beatles of punk. They just put out so many songs and a lot of their songs were funny too. You know, i want to be sedated, beat on the brat with a baseball bat. All that stuff was humorous and catchy. And to me, you know, there's always the Kings and the Ramones will always be the Kings. And none of them were named Ramone and none of them were brothers. And now they're all gone too, which is, which is sad. But as Charlie was saying, you know, they're at CBGB. So like Blondie and the talking heads, they both started in the mid seventies. And since they were at CBGB, some people, they, they try to like throw those in uh, together and, uh, and they ain't. All right. Uh, punk history for you if you want to do it but yeah I still I still hella go to shows absolutely especially coming out of the pandemic I I took live music completely for granted until the pandemic and I would go now and then but as soon it's sort of like when something's taken away from you 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 realize it's like you want to go nah and then it's like you can't go and it's like oh but ever since that I've been going to uh Hella shows, like I said. All right, coming up next, Brian Selznick with an amazing new book. We'll talk to him next right here on Sports Byline.
1: 30 day money back guarantee. 800 867 6917. 800 867 6917. 800 867 6917. That's 800 867 6917.
14: Has someone in your family lost a job recently and now you can't afford your mortgage payment? Or do you have a rental property and your tenants aren't paying you? Quick Cash Offer can come to the rescue and pay you cash for your home immediately.
1: 800-788-1495, 800-788-1495, 800-788-1495, 800-788-1495, that's 800-788-1495.
10: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
3: I have that effect on people. Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. And uh, Twitch.tv holding up uh, to the uh, cameras here the new book Big Tree by our next guest, Brian Selznick. And this is available from Scholastic Press. It just came out yesterday and uh brian is a number one new york times best-selling author also caldecott Medal winning uh author author artist uh as well and um brian welcome to the show and the first thing you notice about the big tree is it's a big tome it is it's a heavy one what was it about this project where you were like look i don't care what any editor says i'm making a big big awesome book here
17: uh, Eric, thank you so much. It's uh, it's really good to talk to you. And uh, I, I think there's no way to get around the fact that this is a 600-page book that weighs three pounds, I think. And I love, I mean, I love books. Like, I, like I love the object of books. But I think one of the things that's nice about the, the, these books that I've been making is a at least a third, sometimes a half, of the entire book is pictures, and so I, you know, I, I write and illustrate books for children. But I've had many adults say to me, "Oh my God, this is the first 600-page book I've ever actually finished, and you can finish it in a day because so much of the story is told page by page as you're like moving through." Pictures and in Big Tree, the, it, you know, which is about these like you know, two little sycamore seeds who are trying to find a safe place to grow while trying to like save the world. You get to immerse yourself in this visual journey with them uh, at the very end of the prehistoric era.
3: Very cool. So now the concept of this came with a couple of guys you know, one of them being a guy named Spielberg. <laughs>
17: All the rumors are true. Uh, i got a I got a call from Steven Spielberg, and he wanted to meet me because he had an idea for a movie that he wanted me to write. And I, 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 you know, people ask me what it's like to get a call from Steven Spielberg. I'm like, what would it be like if Steven Spielberg called you? Like that's what it was like. It was that unbelievable and that exciting. And I flew across the country. I got to meet him and the co-producer, Chris Melodandry. Because Spielberg had this idea. He had seen Hugo, a, a movie that was based on a book that I wrote. And he read the book of The Invention of Hugo Cabret. And, you know, first of all, he spent like the first 10 minutes of our meeting telling me how much he loved Hugo, which was so generous of him and so amazing. I just kept thinking, I can't wait to tell my mom this. And he <laughs> said, you know, I, I, he realized he had never... Seen um, a movie about plants from the plant's point of view, a movie about nature from nature's point of view. And I started working on this. I was going to be the screenwriter, right, right? Like I wasn't doing any drawings, it was going to be professionally animated. And I was a screenwriter writing a story about plants, and I decided to set it at the end of the Cretaceous era, right before the asteroid hits the planet, because, you know, there's a, an existential threat that felt like a good metaphor for the existential threat our planet is facing right now i made the characters little sycamore seeds because sycamore trees were around back then and they're around now and we could connect with them and sycamore seeds are tiny and they you know i imagine they could feel insignificant and you know yet they somehow have to figure out how to save the planet and i was like, well we all feel insignificant i feel insignificant and these problems feel like we can't do anything but yet i wanted to try to figure out a way to kind of be hopeful and so I started working on that with them, but then the pandemic hit and it became clear the movie was never going to happen. So I said, can I make this into a book? Like, I love the story. I love the characters. And I know we're not going to have a movie, but I, I'm a bookmaker. Let me make a book. And so that's what this is. It's it, it's the book. In a way, I adapted a, a book from a film that never got made. And, I, and, and again, because I'm an illustrator and, and now I was doing a book, I got to do all the drawings finally. And and in a weird way, it feels like this is actually what the story was always meant to be. It just took a very unusual journey, sort of like the journey the two characters make in the book. The journey of the book itself was very unexpected.
3: The other thing, too, is, and it's about, I would say, you know, half illustrated and half script, the book, but the, the drawings are very much, you know, black and white kind of chalk. They're very haunting. They're very rich, but with a huge, colorful Cover? Did you have people editors saying, you know, kids don't want this black and white chalk stuff. You gotta, you gotta. <laughs> I, we need more pizzazz here. Did you get a little pushback?
17: Well, there's different ways to get a pizzazz. I think right. Mm-hmm. And for me, the 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 size of the book, the weight of the book, the the way you fall into the story is was very important. And for again, like, and for me, like, I love black and white drawings. Like, I love the mystery of them. Like you were saying, like they they have a to me they can have a very haunting quality and i think it's because the world actually isn't black and white so it a black and white drawing automatically asks the reader to use their imagination in a way so that because you're you're kind of like um, automatically filling things in and that's your imagination that's doing it right we know the plants are green we know the sky is blue we know the clouds are white and we get to do some of that work when we look at black and white pictures. And so, so I was really excited to sort of dive in with, with all of these black and white drawings. A
3: couple more questions for Brian Selznick, the new book, Big Tree, available now from Scholastic. Just going back to when you were writing the invention of Hugo Cabret, did when you were writing it, did you think, oh, yeah, this is a Scorsese movie all the way?
17: <laughs> I mean, it's there's, there's hard to get across how far that thought could have possibly been, especially because when I was making that book, which took like three years, and it's you know, it's, it, it's about this kid who lives in a train station and he meets Georges Melies, you know, who at the time was selling toys in a toy booth, but turns out to be this very famous silent movie director. Uh, people would ask me what I was working on, and I would say, "Oh, I'm making a book for kids about French silent movies," <laughs> and everybody would say, "That is a terrible idea," <laughs> and it certainly does sound like a terrible idea. But I think because kids ended up connecting with the main character of Hugo, and Hugo cared about main, uh, silent movies, uh, then the the kids were able to connect to it. But the book itself, and that's really where I made a lot of discoveries about th- these long picture sequences. Um, You could sort of imagine like the wild rumpus from where the wild things are, except being 20 pages long, appearing every five pages for 600, you know, in a 600-page book. So it's like all of these dozens of wild rumpuses, and the and and so it was very much about the the book itself. Even though invention of Hugo Cabret is actually tied into the early history of cinema, but I really didn't think the book could even be adapted into cinema. Because at the end of Hugo, the book itself becomes part of the plot. Like, I actually talk about the thing in your hands. But then, I, again, like I got this unbelievable phone call from someone telling me that they wanted to give the book to Martin Scorsese to make into a movie, and I couldn't believe it, but I watched what they did, and basically, Scorsese took the entire plot of my story and, and my drawings and filmed everything, but reversed the intention. So the book is about the importance of film, but ultimately it's about really about the importance of books. And the movie celebrates books because there's libraries and bookstores, and there's a kid who wants to be a writer in the movie. But ultimately, it's about the importance of film. So, so it really showed me that you know that these that anything could be adapted, but this idea of telling a story in this in this way, uh, in many ways, began with Hugo.
3: Do you think it's also just as an aside frustrating when? Every critic loves your movie, but it's not a box office smash. So, on one sale, they'll say, Well, it didn't do very well. And it's like, Yeah, it got like over 90% with everybody. It's like a double edged sword, huh?
17: It is. And, right, critics are interesting in many ways. And, you know, we, we know the critics that we like and criticisms that we like and don't like. But in the long run, right? People look at the box office for the weekend or for immediately, and, and it's very easy to put a label on a movie. But what's, what's really important, I think, are, is the question, are people watching this movie five years later, ten years later, twenty years later? And one of the things that's been really exciting to me about the movie of Hugo is all these years later, people... Tell me all the time that it's their favorite movie or one of their favorite movies, or they just watched it on TV, or they just saw it on an airplane somewhere. Like like people are still watching that movie, and that to me, like 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 in the real success of a book too, is what's the what is the life of the book, not what's the immediate impact of a book. Because you know, of course, you would love to have an immediate impact, but sometimes it's the it's the slow burn, and it's. The the word of mouth, it's people saying, hey, I just saw this story, I read this book, or I saw this movie, and I think you should watch it. And that's what I think gives something long the long-term life. And so the fact that Martin Scorsese made a movie out of a story that I made up and found himself in all these different characters, and then people are still watching it, is what I think real success is. And that, you know, and of course, like every time a book comes out when, you know, now the big, big tree is out, my dream is that in five, ten, fifteen years people are still reading the book. And of course, what's fun about, you know, talking to you about it now is the book is now officially one day old. So it's really fun to like be here at this moment right as it's being born.
3: Yeah, I don't think it's a dream. I think that's going to happen. And let's just go back before we let you go, Big Tree, you talk about the two little sibling seeds. It's Louise and Merwin, and, of course, trying to avoid dinosaurs, meteors, volcanoes, Mother Nature, trying to find a safe place to grow up, and in so many ways you can parallel this with humanity. And uh, what, what would you like people to take away from Louise and Merwin after they read it?
17: You know, Merwin is, I think he's the side of me that is very controlling and doesn't want to be told what to do and always thinks I'm right. And, and Louise is that other side of me and probably of a lot of us that's a little bit more dreamy and and, and more open and more curious And and I have found for myself it's so much about finding a balance between those two and hopefully letting the Louise side win a little bit more but Big Tree is filled with information that I learned about how forests work, how plants grow, how nature is all interconnected, how everything is a community, how everything needs everything else in order to survive and so the idea that this story which really i mostly just want people to enjoy the story like that's that's really my main goal but if there's something in the story that resonates or some aspect of science that you become curious about there's information in the back of the book about the real science that inspired the story and ultimately i think for me it's a lot about trying to help myself feel slightly less insignificant in the face of such huge grief and such huge trauma that we're all facing right now and realizing that even in the most hopeless moments, there's still something we can do. There's still a reason to feel hopeful, and I think it's so easy to forget that. That um, you know, I, I, I hope that, that's, because that's what I was trying to do for myself, I hope maybe that'll come through for, for readers as well.
3: No, it's uh, very poignant. And there's, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Pick Up Big Tree by Brian Selznick. Uh, this is a very unique book. There's nothing like it. It's big. It's got amazing uh, illustrations as well. It is available now from Scholastic Press. Brian, congratulations. This is going to be a big hit. I'm not jinxing you, and thanks for coming on.
17: (laughs) Thank you so much. It was really great to talk to you, Rick.
3: All right, good stuff. I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break, and we will come on back and finish up Hour 1.
1: If your loved one has passed away due to COVID-19, pay close attention to this message. You could be entitled to a death benefit of over $300,000. The U.S. government has set up a fund to pay families relief if they've lost a loved one due to COVID-19. We know this is a hard time for you, and this fund has been set up by the federal government to help ease your pain. The compensation includes a death benefit and lost wages benefit. Time is limited, so we urge you to make a free phone call right now.
18: And 3D animation and prototype modeling that help you demonstrate your idea. Get down to the details of your idea with a technical drawing. The InventHelp Data Bank includes thousands of companies who have agreed to review new ideas. We've been helping inventors since 1984. Let's help you next. Take advantage of the opportunity to get started today. Call
6: 1-800-356-7308. That's 1-800-356-7308. Again, 1-800-356-7308.
10: Tittle always goes commando.
3: All right. Thank you for that. Uh, The first lady, Jill Biden, was at the Women's National Championship between Iowa and LSU. And LSU won easily in the end. And afterwards she said, you know what? Paraphrasing, but basically said, you know what? Instead of just LSU coming to the White House, let's get Iowa to come too. I'm going to ask Joe to do that because it was such a great game. Well, Caitlin Clark, tittle vet, she was asked about it as she was accepting the wooden award best player in the nation. She said, "I don't think runner ups usually go to the white house i think l s u should you know enjoy that moment for them, and congratulations, obviously, they deserve to go there. Maybe I could go to the White House on different terms, but I think that's for l s u yeah." Lisa Bluter said, I gratefully acknowledge the first lady's sentiments, but a day at the White House should belong solely to the champions, LSU and Coach Mulkey. We would welcome the first lady and president to come to Iowa's house, Carver Hawkeye Arena, anytime. And so <clears throat> it's really not that much big of a deal. I don't think Jill Biden um, was trying to uh, disparage LSU. I think she was just trying to be sporty. And I got to say, that Clark. She will drop 40 on you, and she will also drop a lot of class because she was asked about the whole thing um, about uh, Reese from the other team doing the you can't see me and pointing at her finger. And she said, I'm a huge fan of hers. She's great. It's no big deal. Everybody was talking smack. Very classy. But, yeah, even the players are like, we would feel really weird going there as losers. Thanks anyway. We got another two hours. Coming back.
19: news i'm Richard johnson at least one tornado from a huge powerful storm system has caused multiple deaths and injuries authorities in bollinger county missouri just west of cape Girardeau, is where this woman heard it coming and ran for cover
2: we were outside looking at it and then them two told me my fiance told me to run inside so we ran inside ran in the bathtub and it was in a matter of seconds and then it just hit and it was just awful
19: the missouri highway patrol says a search and rescue operation is underway the twister came from a line of storms that stretches from michigan to texas and is expected to bring more devastation as the day continues More than 10 million people are under some sort of storm watch now. Up to 80 million could be threatened at times today. Get ready for higher-priced gas again, thanks to Saudi Arabia's production cutbacks. People really hit the
1: roads this summer combined with a production cut, then we could see a pretty significant price increase.
19: The prediction from Bruce Bullock at the McGuire Energy Institute in Dallas. He also says the price of crude will likely get back to $100 a barrel. President Biden will visit Ireland and Northern Ireland next week on the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. The peace deal brokered by the U.S. helped end decades of violence between pro-Ireland Catholics and pro-Britain Protestants. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and other lawmakers from both parties are in Southern California to meet with the president of Taiwan. China, which considers Taiwan its territory, has warned against what will be the highest-level meeting of a Taiwanese president on U.S. soil since 1979. The payroll company ADP's track of private sector employment shows an increase of about 145,000 jobs around the USA in March. That's below the 200,000 analysts were expecting. The numbers considered a sign that the economy is slowing as employers pull back on hiring. This is USA News.
20: Spring Fest is here at Lowe's. Don't miss out on the best deals of the season. Refresh your yard with five bags of premium mulch for just $10. And refresh your home with savings on paint and stain. Right now, buy one, get one 50% off on one-gallon cans and five-gallon pails of HGTV Home by Sherwin-Williams Paint, Stainmaster Paint, and Cabot Exterior Stains. Shop Spring Fest today. to 412. Mulch offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Selection varies by location. While supplies last. See store at Lowe's.com for details.
1: General Motors says it sold
19: more than 20,000 electric vehicles in the first three months of the year, making it the number two EV seller in the USA. It's a long way behind Tesla, which sold more than 160,000 in the first quarter. It did not take long for supporters of former President Trump to find a way to make the best of yesterday's indictment. A fundraising email
15: from Trump's 2024 campaign is advertising a T-shirt with a fake mugshot of former President Trump. The photo has the phrase not guilty below it. The campaign is offering the shirts in exchange for a $47 contribution. This despite the fact a mugshot of Trump was not actually taken during his arraignment on Tuesday. I'm Skip Kelly.
19: New research on Alzheimer's disease and which gender is more prone to get it. Alzheimer's disease hits
15: women harder than men, according to a new study from the Alzheimer's Association. But the biological reasons for this, not yet understood. The study found that women who went through menopause early, or women who tried hormone replacement therapy five years after menopause, have higher levels of the protein tau in their brains. High amounts of that protein are red flags for Alzheimer's
19: disease. That's John Schaefer. One of the more dangerous jobs on a highway project is safety flagger, and one state's trying to crack down on people speeding through work zones. Washington's governors signed a bill to put speed safety cameras at state highway work zones. The goal? To get drivers to slow down and pay more attention in those zones. I'm Richard Johnson, USA News.
0: move your things the right way call colonial van lines now for a free quote
1: call now to learn more about this special 250 dollars long distance move discount 800-847-0225 800-847-0225 800-847-0225 that's 800-847-0225
21: rick tittle knows his
7: sports
0: i hate that guy i love that guy Oh my gosh, he's so fine. Rick Tittle brings home the bacon, fries it up in a pan, and then he eats it. Ricky T in the hizzle for shizzle, biznatch.
3: Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. We still have another couple hours to go. The hilarious Donnell Rawlings will be joining me in a little over a half hour. He's at Helium Philly. Other than that, open lines at 1-800-878-PLAY. Do you care about the Masters? It begins tomorrow. Tiger Woods yesterday said, I don't know how many more I have in me talking about the Masters. Remember that horrible accident he had? We almost lost his leg, limits his time practicing and just walking around. He said, it's the appreciation of being able to play this game and then to be able to come here and play at Augusta National. It's just such a special place, and it just means so much to me in my heart to be able to come here and play this golf course and just appreciate the memories that I've had here, whether it's in the competition or the practice rounds. Or the stories. I'm very lucky to have this leg. It's mine. Yes, it has been altered and there's some hardware in there, but it's still mine. It has been tough and will always be tough. The ability and endurance of what my leg will do going forward will never be the same. I understand that. That's why I can't prepare and play as many tournaments as I like. But that's my future and that's okay. I'm okay with that. So, a reporter said, how much hardware do you have in your leg? And he said, quote, there's a lot. And then he laughed. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think when you looked at the fact that uh, his son, Charlie, who's uh, 14 years old, um, he just said that that's what he's focused on. He said, I just like playing with him uh, at this point. I always think it's funny. Everyone who enters the Masters has to tell them their coat size, I would imagine. I could just see some guy ranked 450th that gets in the Masters. I'm a 44 long. They roll their eyes. Okay, good to know. <laughs> you better have that jacket ready. Yeah, we're going to ask you again if you're within a couple strokes on Sunday. Otherwise, I just forgot what size you told me. Sorry. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. we got two more hours. Come on, one back.
4: Do you use the expensive blue or yellow pills to charge your sex life?
3: All right, check me out what you got. Come on in. 1-800-878-PLAY. 1-800-878-7529. <clears throat> we're not even through a full week of big league games yet, and we're seeing instances of the pitch clock taking shape. Games are shorter. But Manny Machado became the first ever player hit in a big league game with a pitch timer violation. Uh, he was uh, got a strike three. He was in the box, he was adjusting his wristbands, he put his hand back for time. But before he could do that, Ron Culpa, home plate umpire, said he wasn't alert and ready at the eight second mark, so he was tossed. And Bob Melvin, the manager, came out, started arguing, and then uh, Culpa threw out Machado. He said the the new magic word, he called him a douchebag. Douchebag now can get you thrown out. So as we know, or maybe you didn't know, 15 seconds for the pitch clock with bases empty, 20 seconds with somebody on, and the hitter must be in the box and alert to the pitcher at eight seconds. I was watching it last night, and the ace pitcher Sears through every pitch at every two or one second. I mean, he, I don't like that the pitch clock is up in the little scoreboard thing. Why do we need to see it? It bugs me to see it it just gives me anxiety for some weird reason to see the clock ticking down. And I'm watching that instead of the game, just leave the clock for the pitcher on the field. Y'all I wouldn't even want to know what Vita blue would think of that. Cause Vita blue told me he hates when they put how fast the pitch is up on the scoreboard. He goes, I don't want the hitter to know what my speed is. <laughs> He was so good, it didn't matter. But yeah, Machado's adjusting his batting gloves and wasn't ready, and Culpa hit him up. It's always Machado, right? Maybe he was doing it on purpose. I don't know. But the empires wear a device, and it beeps at the the eight-second mark, and then it beeps again when the pitch clock expires. Can you imagine how annoying that must be for them? And so what that is is, It's so that they don't have to look at the clock. They just know eight seconds and clock over. They don't have to watch it. They can watch the actual pitch. So hitters do get one timeout per PA, and they have to use them judiciously. And uh, Machado's case, two strikes, two outs. It ended the inning. You can see Zach Gallen of the Diamondbacks. He's on the bump, and Culpa points at Machado and says, you're out, and then he kind of he goes, oh, do I I leave the mound now? And the catcher's like, oh, yeah. And they just kind of go to the dugout. <laughs> like, I guess this is over. And Machado was in the lineup as DH. So Nelson Cruz, believe it or not, is a padre. He came in to replace him, and he hit a home run in his first at-bat. And so it's the early days of the season, and teams are averaging uh, 0.8, or I should say um, – yeah, 0.8 pitch time violations per game. Spring training, it was 1.5 per game. But now we've had a guy actually thrown out. All right. Then on the other side of the coin, you think about Sandy Alcantara, who won the Cy Young and is would be a household name if he was a Yankee or a Dodger. Right? But a lot of people are like, who? Didn't he pitch for the A's? No, same last name. But this guy mowed through the twins yesterday for the Marlins, handing Minnesota their first loss of the season. And uh, by the way, I think the Rays are still undefeated. But anyway, one to nothing, and it was in less than two hours. And look, Alcantara is a bit of a throwback when you talk about his his capacity to work late into games. I mean, he led the majors in innings and complete games. Six complete games were more than any other team had. Once again, his six complete games were more than any other team. Uh, He, no one faced more batters and he's showing no signs of lighting up with that remarkable game last night. Exactly 100 pitches. He's also the first pitcher in five years to throw a complete game within his team's first six games of the season. Retired an 11 a row to start things off, four base runners all night. But as I said, one hour and 57 minutes. That's the shortest game so far. And that doesn't happen, obviously. As I say, one to nothing when you have a guy like that. I mean, we, we've had had games like that in the past. But the Twins have not played a game in less than two hours in 13 years. And it's just that new clock, which has shaved a half hour off the average game relative to the games last year. And you get that type of, uh, I mean, I was noticing about Bieber and I said, I didn't realize how quick a worker he is. And then I thought, wait, is he a quick worker or is this just, he's adjusting to the clock knowing he has to be ready? Because as soon as he got the ball, he wanted to pitch. It's like, boom, boom, boom. Then I realized, I guess everybody has to be a quick worker now. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> Alcantara, uh, pretty amazing game for him last night. Now on, uh, and by the way, the Diamondbacks did win that game, 8-6 to six over the Padres there in the uh, National League West. Uh, then again, <laughs> you look at the Mets, many people World Series favorites playing the Brew Crew. The first two games... The Brew Crew, 19 runs, the Mets, zero. Uh, last night, they roughed up Max Scherzer nine to nothing. He gave up back to back to back home runs for only the second time in his career. The Mets losing <clears throat> two games in a row by nine runs or more, first time that's ever happened. The Brewers winning two games in a row by nine runs or more, first time that's ever happened uh, for them. So. You think about, you know, we were talking last year at this time about, you know, maybe the ball was a little more juiced, and then, you know, are there more home runs? I mean, the Giants, not a home-running team. Home-run-hitting team hit seven. Chase Peterson, who's not good with the A's, hit a home run one-handed the other night. So, I mean, you look at the Red Sox, four games in. They're two and two. The Red Sox games, think of this 10 to nine, 9 to eight, 9 to five, 7 to six. Three times the opposing team has made an error with two outs in the ninth to give the Red Sox new life. And Duvall's home run was the first walk off of the season. It's pretty amazing. They got this guy, McKenna, the outfielder for Baltimore, with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. It's this can of corn to left field. He runs in. He has the glove like on his left shoulder. He just nonchalantly puts the glove up. It hits off the heel, and it falls. And, of course, the next home run, the next hitter hits a home run. Alex Cora, the Red Sox skipper, said, quote, This is different, man. I've never seen anything like this so early in the season. The ball is flying in the air. The balls are running a lot in this ballpark this year. You can see the difference between last year and this year. Well, can we even look at the numbers? Yes, we can. Because home runs are up. The first five days of the season, home runs are 1.2 per game. And last year, they were one per game. Hmm. Well, is it the pitch clock? Is it forcing pitchers to work more quickly that perhaps leads to worse execution, thus more home runs there? Is it the infield shift that has left-handed hitters go ahead and letting them pull again? Is it unseasonably warm weather in the Northeast? I don't know. It's early. Baseball is a game of numbers, and I'm already looking at them. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
1: That's 800-278-1738. You're
13: so ugly you could be a modern art masterpiece.
10: I'm 33% sure Rick Tittle is the father of my child, but I'm 100% sure Rick Tittle is a jackass.
3: <laughs> Thank you for that, and welcome back to the uh, show. one eight hundred eight seven eight 878 play one eight hundred eight seven eight seven five two nine. 878 7529 Get in and get heard wherever you might happen to be listening in this great land of ours. Danal, uh, Danal, Danell Rawlings will be with us <clears throat> coming up in the next segment last time he was on the show we were talking about how good Seven Eleven hot dogs were and he said oh you just assume because i'm black i'm like ain't got nothing to do with you being black because i like them hot dogs too so we'll see what danelle's always got a little something something so we'll talk to him <laughs> and uh, see what's up all right <clears throat> as i was saying there are going to be yesterday i was saying there's going to be some uh milestones The 3,000 strikeouts, Zach Granke of the Royals, and Clayton Kershaw are two that get hit. But speaking of hits, there are guys waiting for their 2,000th hit. One of them is a guy who we definitely knew in the American League West for a long time, Elvis Andrus. One of the best trades the Rangers ever made was getting, uh, what's his face, Mark Teixeira out of town. They had a party. To Atlanta for Elvis Andrus, who was their shortstop for a decade. Jared Saltalamaki, the catcher. Matt Harrison, the pitcher. All these guys were good. But Elvis Andrus needs one more hit for 2,000. He's 1,999. Andrew McCutcheon is back with Pittsburgh. That's right, blink. He never left. He needs 51 hits. Jose Altuve, boop. He needs 65 hits. And Freddie Freeman needs... Let's see, he's at 1906. He needs 94 hits. Um, Bob Melvin needs 64 wins, which he will get, to become the 25th manager in Major League history with 1,500 wins. And that means it's time to start asking, would he be maybe a Hall of Famer? I think he has to win a World Series um, to get that. As much as I love Bob Melvin, (laughs) as much as I love that he's a three-time... Um, you know, it's just like Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker had a great career, and now that he has his World Series, Dusty Baker's going to the Hall of Fame. Um, Bob Melvin, I think, would need one. 400 home runs, which used to be an automatic trip to Cooperstown because everyone who ever hit 400 home runs was a Hall of Famer until Dave Kingman got to 400, and they were like, nah. Giancarlo Stanton is at 379. And he has topped the 30-home run uh, mark in the last two years. So if he's healthy, he'll become the 58th member of the 400-home run club. I swear, 30 years ago, <clears throat> there were about, I would say, 12 to 15 four-home... I'm not kidding. There were probably a dozen guys with 400 home runs. And now there are 57. Brady Anderson. Uh, 400 saves. Good gosh. Craig Kimbrell is six away. Kenley Jansen is nine away. And, I mean, Jansen will get there. Nine saves, and he's Boston's closer. And Kimbrell is a setup guy in Philly. So finding six saves for him seems plausible. But Sir Anthony Dominguez, I mean, he probably does not have an unshakable hold on the closer's job. If you look at 400 saves, Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, Lee Smith, Francisco Rodriguez, John Franco, and Billy Wagner are the only ones there. <clears throat> and if you say, where's Dennis Eckersley, remember, he was a starter for more than half of his career. 300 home runs. Arenado needs one more. He has 299. Freddie Freeman, 292. McCutcheon, some of the same guys here, has he has 287, and Bryce Harper has 285. Uh, McCutcheon is 36 years old and he has 17 home runs. So I would probably think he's not going to get that this year. Do you think he's going to hit 23 home runs? Probably not. So as you can tell from the other list, McC- uh, Freeman is going to get to 2000 hits and 300 home runs this year. Uh, Bryce Harper is going to be missing basically the first half of this season. Uh, 250 wins. Justin Verlander has 244. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer, whether you like him or not. He's the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner now in Queens. Um, He did start the season on the IL. Can he defy the aging curve once again? Could he make a run at 300 wins? Probably not. Once he gets to 250, he'll become the 49th pitcher to do that. Uh, And then 200 wins. Clayton Kershaw has 198, and Adam Wainwright has 195. So you would think those two would uh, breeze uh, right to that. Um, And then Terry Francona with the Guardians, who's back in Oakland. He used to be an assistant under Bob Melvin. But uh, Tito, would he get a plaque in Cooperstown? Um, Right now he sits 16th all-time with wins. 21 more wins to pass Bill McKechnie for 15th all-time. And he'll probably get that. But as I said, Terry Francona, um, I mean, if he can get the Indians to win the World Series, I think he's going to go right in. And then to get into the top 10 all-time, Bruce Bochy with Texas. And you forget that he's there now, at least I do. He was at the Padres for several years, took him to the World Series, won three pennants with the Giants, won all of those World Series. He has 2,005 wins and, by the way, 2,029 losses. It's hard to believe that Boach is under 500 all time. But anyway, he needs 36 wins to pass Leo DeRocher and Walter Alston to go from 12th to 10th all time. He's not going to get 9th because 9th is the aforementioned Dusty Baker who's still piling up wins. And as I said, Dusty Baker is going to find himself in the Hall of Fame someday now. 1-800-878-PLAY, 1-800-878-7529. Um, we also know that um, <laughs> in New York, they bring out Anthony Volpe. He's supposed to be the next Derek Jeter, and and it's very exciting. But what's weird in New York right now is what's going on with Aaron Hicks, And Aaron Boone confirmed that Aaron Hicks has expressed great frustration to him about his limited role. He's a switch hitter. The other day he was batting seventh and playing left field when they took on the Phillies. He has appeared in just one of the Yankee games and then came in again as a pinch hitter over the weekend on Saturday. Uh, Aaron Boone, the manager, has confirmed he's talked to Hicks about his role dating to spring training, and he said he's been very transparent. And he said, look, we got two players. Uh, we got Fran- uh, Franchi Cordero and Colton Brewer. Well, Colton Brewer's a pitcher. So Boone said, the role can evolve and change. The biggest thing is I want him to be ready for every opportunity. So then, of course, the press went to Hicks, and they said, what is your role? And he said, quote, I have no idea what my role is. It's kind of uncertain. Well, look, they divvy up their innings. Aaron Judge is going to start every game. Okay, Osvaldo Cabrera, the youngster, Giancarlo Stanton. They put in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. To me, he's an infielder. He plays in the outfield before Aaron Hicks says, and they even had a guy named Estevan Florial, who played an inning, then he got DFA'd. But here's the thing. Hicks is 33 years old. He's in his eighth season with the Yankees. He was formally productive. We know that. They extended him seven years, 70 million. But going back to two years ago, he's really fallen off. And his distaste with playing time goes back to September. He said then, when I get opportunities, I'll try to make the most of them, but it's extremely hard when I play a game and then I'm off for 3 days and there's another outfielder out there. Well, if they want to move on from Hicks, it'll be painful because his contract stipulates that he's going to make 11 million this year and then the next 2 years he's going to make another 11 and another 9. So there's what 21 million or 31 million. So the Yankees may have to reach a point where they have no choice but just to accept a financial bath either by releasing him or trading him. If they trade him, they're going to have to pay at least half of the salary I would think. But it's just when things get awkward and you see a guy who thinks he should be in the lineup every day and then you look at the card and he's not in the lineup and then it gets weird and that vibe and i'm not in the clubhouse or the dugout and you aren't either but you just kind of feel with the way he's talking to the press and the where the way boone's talking to him and the way boone's talking to the media that there's just kind of this weird thing like oh guess i'm not playing and then boone's like just just be ready if i do need to play and like do you only keep me because you're paying me 11 million dollars and it's right now the answer is kind of like yes that's why <laughs> Danelle Rawlings on the other side. Come on back on Sports Byline.
1: That's 800-725-1651.
8: Paid for by Legal Alert Line
10: Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
3: All right. Thank you for that. And welcome back to this show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast. We're trying to find Danelle Rawlings. What's up, man? <clears throat> Come on in and get hurt. Wherever you might happen to be listening. 1-800-878-PLAY. 1-800-878-7529. For some reason, my voice sounds like this now. There are certain teams in the NFL whose owner sort of takes precedence, and I think uh, the best example of that all time was Al Davis with the Raiders, but now I'd probably say it's Jerry Jones with the Cowboys, and then you have Robert Kraft with the Patriots. We know who he is, but he's overshadowed by Bill Balachek. Am I right? Yes. But then you get the Colts, and uh, Jim Irsay is a piece of work, to say the least. And... (laughs) I mean, we're still waiting on that first reported team that is trying to get Lamar Jackson. I I haven't heard that team yet, but if there's one team to keep an eye on, would it be the Colts? The Colts hold the number four pick, and they have not publicly expressed their disinterest in Jackson like just about every other quarterback-needy team has done. And ESPN reported last month that the Colts have not ruled out having discussions with Lamar Jackson who got the non-exclusive franchise tag. But that franchise tag has not taken any steps or that franchise, I should say, has not taken any steps towards bringing him in yet. Last week, Jim Ursae, owner of the Indianapolis Colts, says that he doesn't believe in fully guaranteed contracts and that's what Jackson wants. So as we get closer to the draft, you would think that the Colts would indeed select a quarterback with their top pick when you throw in the fact that acquiring Jackson would not only take a record-breaking contract but also two first-round picks. It's not hard to understand why GMs aren't lining up outside Jackson's door right now. Now, The Athletic reports that Ursay wants to chase the draft and develop route, which, of course, is financial flexibility and uh, gives you more room for uh, team-building, but they haven't had anybody, really, since Andrew Luck. All right. We found him, stand-up comedian extraordinaire, the hilarious Donnell Rawlings is back on the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Donnell's here. He's going to be at one of the best clubs in America. It's Helium in uh, Philly coming up this weekend. And uh, Donnell, welcome back to the show. I remember last time you and I were talking about how we both either ashamedly or unashamedly like 7-Eleven hot dogs.
21: No, That sounds like some, I, I don't want to say it, but it sounds like some LBGT uh, code word. I don't understand <laughs> what that means. <laughs> I don't remember. Sucking on chili dogs? I don't know, man. Here's a little story about Donnell. No, I don't remember that story. Fake news, everybody. And if you can see my face right now, I'm giving you the John Cena. I'm giving you the John Cena finger wave, the mm-hmm. handshake right now. That has got so many people in trouble right now. You can't see me. You can't see me eating a hot dog. I can tell you that. Not. Did I say that? I want to see the video. I want to hear the video. I want to hear the audio.
3: Well, no. What it was was we were talking about 7-Eleven hot dogs, and you said you basically said why? Because I'm black. And I said no, I'm white, and I like them too. And then we laughed. Does that ring a bell?
21: Um, I, me me using a race car definitely <laughs> rings a bell. But, <laughs> It's been ringing the bell since Obama left the office. So I'll just chuckle around that. Okay, Donnell, the guy formerly known as the hot dog eater. Let's put it like that, all right?
3: Well, it's not like you're in the club and, like, you take Molly and it's like, you know what happens when he takes Molly? He goes in the back room and gets a Seven Eleven hot dog, if you know what I mean.
21: See and This is why I tried to detract. This is why I tried to say <laughs> I wanted to take this so well. But you, you know what I'm realizing now? You slept on this hot dog all night. <laughs> You said when I interviewed Donnell, I'm gonna wake up. You woke up with a hot dog in your mouth and said, That's a sign from God. Then I'm gonna remind Donnell that he likes to suck on chili dogs and tasty freeze, or you know, freeze, tasty free, so whatever it is.
3: Take me back to your days in South Korea with our United States Air Force. We are on Armed Forces Radio, by the way, so they're listening in Korea. Okay. Tell me about did you have like good food? Did you have MREs? Where what did you what were you eating?
21: Well, I had a combination of both. When we did exercise, of course, we did the M.I.E.s, you know, And um, but for the most part, I ate a lot of uh, Korean food. Uh, one thing you have to learn, first of all, before you eat Korean food, you have to get your nose ready to be able to take the smell of kimchi. Like, when you, when mm-hmm. I first got to Korea, I was like, what the hell? Did somebody leave the door open in the back? It was a crazy smell. And if you've been around it for a while, you kind of get used to it. It's like a farmer that's, like, the smell of the manure It's like... Ah, feels good, but um, I used to um eat the Korean food, and then I would eat on base, and then like doing the exercises, I would definitely um do the MREs, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like canned MRE. We had like the top knock you know, you knew some hot water, and you felt like you was in the in, in the Chow Hall, but that was my food experience in Korea, and to this day, like going to Korean barbecue is probably one of my favorite things to do.
3: Very cool. I thought of you uh, also when I'm we on the okay, show. Okay, that- wait
21: a minute. I didn't answer that question. Right, I'm sorry. I remember back years ago in Korea and I ate my first Korean hot dog, man. It was like, it was like
3: Saint it was, Bernard. It was
21: incredible. Yeah, it was it was you know, you can counsel yourself. Don't let I you can do it today or I could do it. Which whatever way you want to do it, but you know, yeah, it reminds me of those times back in Korea when we to eat those bags on furry hot dogs.
3: Danielle Rawlings is with us. He's at Helium Philly. Um on, when you were Day-Day on the, the Wire, I remember the scene you had with Lance Reddick where you're like, I'm Day-Day, you know, or you're like, what are you saying? You know, most people call me Day-Day, and then Lance Reddick's said, yeah, most people call me Lieutenant, and you kind of like snapped your fingers back, and he just passed. That guy was larger than life, and then in like that show, Corporate, he was hilarious. I mean, what was it like working with that guy? It
21: was great. You got to understand, when I did, um, first of the Wire, I think that was probably first major production I did and I was really, really green to acting. So people like Lance, um uh um people like Idris, these guys that had already been established, they was kinda like like helped me along and Lance was one of them. We used to, we would go see the baseball games, we spent time, we weren't drinking together and he just was like just a, a per he, he comes from a theater background. He usually uh, actors that come from a theater background background, they are like super serious, you know. And, uh, like, he kind of helped me through it. I was nervous when I said he kind of helped me through it. He always thought I was a funny guy. You know, he would come to my comedy shows and then of his past. And the first thing I think, like yourself, I was like, my name is Daniel Price, but i mostly go by day there. And then when he said, my name is Daniel, I'm mostly go by lieutenant. And he snapped. And for me, that was, a that, that was like, one of my biggest moments on television. I'm glad that he created a body of work that people could know him, his legacy, his and like, I always tell people we, when we when we're born, we have the beginning date, we have the end date, and then we have that dash in the middle. And you never know when it's going to happen, when your end is going to be over. But I always encourage people to live your dash to the fullest. And for what I know of him, he lived his life to the fullest and got a lot of things. I've never respect respect for him what he did for myself, and then as an actor, what he did in this community and how he was so well respected. You know, you never hear anything bad about him, which is one of the toughest things in Hollywood, to have a career that's unscathed with no controversy and no crazy stuff. And he was, he was a stand-up guy, and he showed him his work.
3: Well, for you, I mean, you kind of took acting like a fish to water. You were kind of a, a natural. But, I mean, yeah, I know you had to work at it, too. What was, what was that like? Because, I mean, to me, it seemed like it was easy for you. But I'm, I'm, what, am I wrong?
21: It wasn't easy. Stand-up comedy is easy for me. Acting isn't easy. Like, I like the, the like, instant gratification of I'm doing a good job, and that comes through laughter, or it comes through a crowd, like a live crowd. And acting, you, you can feel that you're in a zone, but you never know. You don't know what how people going to take you. might think you killed the scene, and people are like, oh, that scene sucks. You know what I'm saying? Look, for me, it's nothing um, easy about acting. I just happen to be able to, like, with the stand-up career, people... Like took notice of me. Said, okay, what about if we put him in his role? I'm not trained or anything. I don't even call myself a season actor. I'm just a guy that does make believe and I've been lucky enough to get stuff that I could do and if you want to say nail it, but you know, I definitely don't you know, like put myself out there to be like, I'm this classically trained lesbian, I'm just a dude that tells jokes and it let me act every once in a while I and mean, then I act like I'm acting. So, <laughs> they say they the key to acting is acting like an actor. Mm-hmm. And when I first started, when I used to go to auditions, I didn't even care about book and roll. I just didn't want to look like, I didn't. I just wanted to give the impression that I was an actor. Whether you picked me or not, I just wanted to get to that part first.
3: No doubt. And also, I just watched that roast uh, for Burt, Burt Kreischer. And uh right. yeah, and you're funny as always. But it seemed like that host—I don't remember his name—that little guy. You were like, you know, write a real joke because that dude was coming after you. It's almost like he hadn't earned his stripes yet.
21: And, it is, and that's the thing of like you got these guys, these TikTok guys, and these social media guys. I don't have anything against against them. I and mean, like you get your celebrity, your money, however you want. But you also got to be able to read the room and know who you're in the room with, you know. And I know like he had, a, and I'm not knocking him. He's, he's doing well for himself and everything makes a lot of money, people know him. But I'm like, first off, I don't like Rose. I didn't want to do it, because Rose people get opportunities to mean to go, you know, it's just joke, no, some of the things that they say are very mean. I'm not that type of comic, you know, and I know, when I, if I go to Rose, two things are gonna happen. It's gonna be, you are gonna maybe offer me a drink or you gonna wanna fight. You know, like, cause I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back at you. And I'm just letting him know, you do one thing. You're You're doing a good job with them, but I'm, like, off the cuff. And, in fact, when we did that, roast, one of the writers said, I knew something was about to go crazy because when we looked at teleprompter, it, it was black, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, <laughs> no words or anything. And sometimes you got to chin check them and let him, let, you know, he stood up to it, but I let him know, bro, the minute that teleprompter goes like, out, you're done, and we can do this all day. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm not, I'm an older guy. I've been doing it for 30 years. I'm not a guy that's, like, feel bitter toward these YouTube guys and TikTok guys. I, I think my hat goes off to them to be able to create a good living and, 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 and pretty much put yourself on. But at the same time, you know, sometimes, you know, just like you kids, sometimes you got to pop in a and let them know what's up.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm three years older than you, so i got the same generation. It's Donnell Rawlings. That, you just,
21: wait, wait, first off, I just told you that I'm sometimes an actor. Yeah. And you just gave people the impression that I'm close to your age, which means they Google you, you know, see about ages. As an actor, we don't share those things with people.
3: Well, you got a little gray in your beard. You ain't hiding it. Now, now you're being disrespectful.
21: <laughs> and I can tell you Now you're being disrespectful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now you, I don't know. I don't know if you watch the show B N F, like right, the stars, hit, whatever. But now you're treating me like the star of the show. Lamar used to treat me like a punk, and I'm not going to allow it.
3: All right. Danell Rawlings. At we heat. can
21: do this. We can do this. Now, now you want to let me go. Wait, my my, my, my teleprompter, no, 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 went, it no, went no. black. No, 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 We can do this on your platform, or I can get you front row tickets to my show, and then we can talk about our gray beards. We can talk about our love for hot dogs. We can talk about the animals we ate. And <laughs> we can do all that. Like, I'll give you fair on your platform, and meet me on my platform. I mean, uh, that's an open invitation.
3: All right. I'll be in the front row, my man.
21: All right. All right, With no mask, no funny noses, just you and a
3: foot-long hot dog. <laughs> so you took the most hot dogs out of all our experience, all right? You went deep with it. Denell <laughs> Den- Den- <laughs> Den- Rawlings, Helium Philly. <laughs> check it out. Thanks a lot, my man. Appreciate it.
21: Suck on chili dog with a tasty freeze.
3: Oh, damn. There it is. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
1: pricing information 800-915-9654 800-915-9654 800-915-9654 that's 800-915-9654
7: president biden recently released a massive six trillion dollar budget the largest budget in u.s history and guess who pays the bill That's right, you, the American taxpayer. American citizens and business owners will be paying more taxes. That's a fact. And if you owe back taxes, they will be coming after you to collect payments. In fact, President Biden also hired thousands more IRS agents to go after you. If you got a letter from the IRS and you know you owe back taxes or you haven't filed in years...
19: You cannot be serious!
10: Rick Tittle is a majestic stallion.
3: Still another hour to go, and does it get any better than Upper Deck when it comes to trading cards? And the answer is no. And I'm here to discuss this really cool box set they have. It's called Star Rookies. The complete 25-card base set and one base set parallel. This is, of course, for this season, 22-23. Look for a rare autograph card as well. But you talk about guys like Power and Bernier's as well. I'm holding up the box here to the uh, Twitch cameras. Um, <clears throat> once again, upper deck, 2022-23 NHL star rookies box set. The complete 25-card box set and one base set parallel as well. L'ensemble des bases complets, une carte des bases En francais. Was that right? I think so. Something like that. Um, I told you Donnell Rawlings was going to be sassy. That's part of his appeal. He is a sassy face. We know that. Uh, We'll check in with pro wagering, or maybe we won't, but we're going to have plenty of open lines coming up in the last hour, so don't be shy. Call me up 1 800 878 play. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back, y'all.
19: news i'm rich johnson at least one tornado from a huge powerful storm system has caused multiple deaths and injuries authorities in bollinger county missouri just west of cape Girardeau, is where this woman heard it coming and ran for cover
2: we were outside looking at it and then them two told me my fiance told me to run inside so we ran inside ran in the bathtub and it was in a matter of seconds and then it just hit and it was just awful
19: the missouri highway patrol says a search and rescue operation is underway the twister came from a line of storms that stretches from michigan to texas and is expected to bring more devastation as the day continues More than 10 million people are under some sort of storm watch now. Up to 80 million could be threatened at times today. Get ready for higher-priced gas again, thanks to Saudi Arabia's production cutbacks.
1: People really hit the roads this summer combined with a production cut, then we could see a pretty significant price increase.
19: The prediction from Bruce Bullock at the McGuire Energy Institute in Dallas. He also says the price of crude will likely get back to $100 a barrel. President Biden will visit Ireland and Northern Ireland next week on the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. The peace deal brokered by the U.S. helped end decades of violence between pro-Ireland Catholics and pro-Britain Protestants. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and other lawmakers from both parties are in Southern California to meet with the president of Taiwan. China, which considers Taiwan its territory, has warned against what will be the highest-level meeting of a Taiwanese president on U.S. soil since 1979. The payroll company ADP's track of private sector employment shows an increase of about 145,000 jobs around the USA in March. That's below the 200,000 analysts were expecting. The numbers considered a sign that the economy is slowing as employers pull back on hiring. This is USA News.
20: Spring Fest is here at Lowe's. Don't miss out on the best deals of the season. Refresh your yard with five bags of premium mulch for just $10. And refresh your home with savings on paint and stain. Right now, buy one, get one 50% off on one-gallon cans and five-gallon pails of HGTV Home by Sherwin-Williams Paint, Stainmaster Paint, and Cabot Exterior Stains. Shop Spring Fest today. to 412. Mulch offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Selection varies by location. While supplies last. See store at Lowe's.com for details.
1: General Motors says it sold
19: more than 20,000 electric vehicles in the first three months of the year, making it the number two EV seller in the USA. It's a long way behind Tesla, which sold more than 160,000 in the first quarter. It did not take long for supporters of former President Trump to find a way to make the best of yesterday's indictment. A fundraising email
15: from Trump's 2024 campaign is advertising a t-shirt with a fake mugshot of former President Trump. The photo has the phrase, not guilty, below it. The campaign is offering the shirts in exchange for a $47 contribution. This despite the fact a mugshot of Trump was not actually taken during his arraignment on Tuesday. I'm Skip Kelly.
19: New research on Alzheimer's disease and which gender is more prone to get it. Alzheimer's disease hits
15: women harder than men, according to a new study from the Alzheimer's Association. But the biological reasons for this, not yet understood. The study found that women who went through menopause early, or women who tried hormone replacement therapy five years after menopause, have higher levels of the protein tau in their brains. High amounts of that protein are red flags for Alzheimer's
19: disease. That's John Schaefer. One of the more dangerous jobs on a highway project is safety flagger, and one state's trying to crack down on people speeding through work zones. Washington's governors signed a bill to put speed safety cameras at state highway work zones. The goal? To get drivers to slow down and pay more attention in those zones. I'm Richard Johnson, USA News.
1: Home system and appliance repairs and replacements can cause stress and cost you thousands of dollars per year. With an A-plus BBB rating and a top-rated home warranty company on Consumer Affairs and Trust Pilot, ARW Home provides superior service, featuring the industry's lowest service call fee.
3: Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. And, you know, you wonder sometimes. People say, why are you talking sports? You know why? All you got to do is just watch the news to know why I like talking sports. First of all, if you love a politician so much, that individual so much, that you would go to a courtroom to support him, and then conversely, if you hate a politician so much that you would go to a courtroom outside to disparage him or her, what kind of self-esteem issue do you have? (laughs) Did your dad not hug you enough times? Did your mom not make you a birthday cake? If you feel so strongly in favor of someone, it's a person. And then, I don't know, it's just some people, they're such followers. And it's not like, I'm a born leader. But the, just the the will to follow someone. It's like, I'm nothing without that person. David Koresh or whoever it is, some politician, they're the ones for me because I'm lost. And I I feel bad if someone is that lost that they need someone to put their hooks into to give them hope or tribalism or make them feel heard or whatever. It's just so funny that the guy that most of these people are supporting, he wouldn't even have you in the lobby of his building if you asked them. (laughs) And like I said, conversely, if you feel so much that you have to go there and scream at the people who are supporting them, you have some sort of very real insecurity. And I'm not even a clinical psychologist. I'm just a psychologist from my degree I got at the Grenada um, Physical Hospital. I forget the word is. Anyway, uh, if you feel that strongly about a politician one way or another... Something I, I think really your mom didn't give you enough hugs. That's all I can that's all I
1: can say. Hey,
3: how about some sports talk? Come on back.
6: Check out behind the barrier.
2: Titillating sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a genius, the best show ever. He's so wonderful, genius, the best show ever. He's so wonderful. Titillating sports with Rick Tittle. Rick Tittle is a he's so handsome, he's a genius. Coming up
3: next, Rick Tittle. Hey, 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 thank you for that. It's eleven twelve. We have no pro-wagering guy. What usually happens is they'll call in during this segment and then we'll do them at 25. That's usually what happens. But Right now, lines are available. 1-800-878-PLAY. This Mac Jones trade thing, he got traded? No, but the rumors are really hotting up right now that all is not well. Um, Robert Kraft has been very... Uh, publicly supportive of Mac Jones. And, but of course there was the report from pro football talk that Belichick was really mad that Mac Jones went outside the organization to look for help. And so this is uh <clears throat> it's funny. The five teams that I've read to be rumored, one of them is the Broncos. What? Sean Payton is there. And They've already brought in Jarrett Stidham, by the way, as the backup, who looked okay for the Raiders last year. Russell Wilson um, is under contract, and if they wanted to eat a lot of cash by dumping him, that's what they would have to do. Uh, I don't see why Mac Jones would be rumored going to Denver. I don't know why that's one of the teams. The Buccaneers... Right now it's Baker Mayfield versus Kyle Trask, ugh, and they don't pick until 19, unless they trade up. So Todd Bowles is a very conservative coach. They got a new offensive coordinator in Dave Canales, and he did very well last year with Geno Smith in Seattle, but um, I, I mean. They need a quarterback. I can see that. The commanders, the annual laments from head coach Ron Rivera about not having a quarterback. Right now, it's Jacoby Brissett versus Sam Howell. They pick at 16, so they would need to jump to get one of the bigger names. Uh, Jones would at least give them added competition. He is under contract for three more years. And then we always hear about the titans despite endorsements of ryan tannehill they have been looking at all the quarterbacks last year and this year they're at 11 overall if they don't trade up who will be there i have a feeling that will levis will be there at 11 i really think he'll be there uh, at 11 if they want him but mike vrabel's patriots roots they don't go back to mac jones so yeah they explored brady what team didn't explore brady If your team didn't take a look at Tom Brady, your team wasn't doing its job. And then the number one rumored guy or team is the Raiders. Of course. Uh, Derek Carr is out. Jimmy Garoppolo is in. Stidham's out. Brian Hoyer is in. And so the Mac Jones bringing him in to back up Garoppolo. It's only because Dave Ziegler... He was a director of player personnel under Bill Belichick in New England when they drafted Mac Jones. So the Raiders pick seventh, and there's thoughts that they get tripped. The, the last thing the Raiders read, lead right now is a young quarterback who's not that great. But now the talk, take it to the next level. If Mac Jones leaves, then who's coming in? Hmm. Mac Jones. <laughs> By the way, 14 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Yeah. So, if you want to look in free agency, Carson Wentz, oof. 30 years old, but then again, they signed a 31-year-old Cam Newton. At least he was a former MVP who played in a Super Bowl. But, I mean, Wentz, as I said, 11 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, his passer rating was 80.2. Oof. And by the way, here's the thing about Will Levis. He he had his pro day and he was wearing, you know, a uh, a tank top to show his rippling biceps. <clears throat> Will Levis, if you want to say looks like a quarterback, you win. But it's very easy to look like a quarterback and then throw bombs in an empty gym, which is basically what he did. Um, but yeah. Ron Washington, Ron Washington, Ron Rivera in Washington was the guy who told Carson Wentz to hit the road and basically put Tyler, uh, Taylor Heineke in at that point. Would you, would you see that happen? I don't know, but the quarterback class next year, of course, is going to have Caleb Williams. He'll be the number one guy. And then probably Drake May out of North Carolina as we sit preseason. What did I say? J.D. at 25. It's exactly my prediction. In other words, inside joke there. Teddy Bridgewater, also 30. You know, a unspectac- unspectacular career. Four touchdowns and four interceptions last year for Miami. Yeah. In his last start. The Dolphins lost to the Patriots with him at quarterback, a touchdown and a pick, and then he hurt his finger. Now, Bridgewater would make sense if New England drafts someone that they think can start coming off the bench. Trades. Jared Goff, in comparison, 29 touchdown passes, 7 picks. And Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions, seemed to squash any idea of trading Jared Goff or trying to go after Lamar Jackson at the NFL owners' meetings down in Scottsdale last week. Campbell said, look, Lamar is a heck of a talent. Trying to defend that guy has been something else. We played them two years ago, but, man, we've got a quarterback. So I'm like, we've got a quarterback, and thank goodness we have one. And, yeah, Goff in the second half last season, he (laughs) looked like the number one overall pick as he was from Cal by the Rams. Remember? And Detroit won seven games in a row and missed out on the playoffs barely. 15 touchdown passes and no picks in his last nine games. 324 consecutive passes without an interception. That is a Lions record. Not saying much. But Goff's 29-7 touchdown interception ratio led the NFL. And he's 28 years old. Um... Ryan Tannehill, 35 years old, took an absolute beating last year. The thing thing that I think is most amazing is people are talking about Trey Lance to New England. Trey Lance is, of course, a complete mystery. A broken ankle ended his season last year. He was the starter, but two games in, he was out. And so then Garoppolo came in, and then he got hurt. And then Brock Purdy came in. And they've already said, Kyle and John, coach and GM here, Kyle Shanahan John Lynch, that Purdy is the leader in the clubhouse. Yes, even though he had that horrible elbow injury. And San Francisco brought in Sam Darnold, the third pick in the draft versus the last pick in the draft. But as Kyle said, the draft is only how you get in here. Right, so like I said, they could where New England sits. They could, I think Will Levis would be there. I I really like Hendon Hooker. He was on pace to be a Heisman Trophy candidate until he tore his ACL against South Carolina. Really nice deep thrower, Tanner McKee from Stanford. The only good thing about him is he's six six, but no thanks. Max Duggan from TCU, the Heisman Trophy runner up. Bill Belichick was at his pro day, staring at him. But then again, you got Bailey Zappi, number four, fourth round pick last year. Patriots fans were chanting for him to be Mac Jones' full time replacement anyway. Five touchdowns and three picks last year. And two of those starts, they beat the Lions 29 to nothing, and then they beat the Browns 38 to 15. And. So, I mean, Zappy could be a guy if you want to stay in house. But the rumors are flying. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
18: We've been helping inventors since 1984. Let's help you next. Take advantage of the opportunity to get started today. Call 1-800-356-7308. That's
6: 1-800-356-7308. Again, 1-800-356-7308.
4: Do you use the expensive blue or yellow pills to charge your sex life? and save a ton of money. Call now and get your 44 pills and save over $700 and qualify for free shipping. Stop overpaying and call right now.
1: Paid for by Steel Man Pills. 800-965-1295 800-965-1295 800-965-1295 That's 800-965-1295
14: Has someone in your family lost a job recently?
1: That's 800 788 1495. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long, 54 inch wide gorilla? Is that what you're
12: telling me?
10: This is the only sports talk show that features a Rhodes Scholar, but he ain't here today. Now, back to Rick Tittle.
3: Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast, around the world on American Forces Radio Network. Let's check in with J.D. Sharp from Pro Wagering and ProWagering.com. We'll talk a little baseball and J.D., we have already seen just yesterday uh, two instances of how the pitch clock has come into play. Sandy Alcantara, less than two hours, a complete game win over the Twins, one to nothing. Uh, we saw Manny Machado thrown out of a game because he was screwing around with his, or, uh, well, he was called out to end of inning and then he was thrown out when he called Ron Culpa a douchebag, but he was screwing around with his batting gloves. And just yesterday I was watching the A's and the uh, Guardians and I thought, wow, Shane Bieber's a very quick worker. And then I thought, I guess everybody is a quick a quick worker nowadays. How have you seen some of these new rules take effect so far?
16: I think it's great. I, I think it keeps the fans much more engaged. There were times I would watch a game last year. I mean, some of that would take seven minutes. The picture would take a break. He would wipe off his head. He would wipe off his glove. He would wipe off his snot. The batter would do the same thing. The batter would take a couple of swings. Swings. He would He would step back from the box. He would take a timeout. I mean, it was it was really tough to watch as a baseball fan and so yeah watching these these power pitchers who i think are at a huge advantage now with these new rules like Sandy Alcantara that you just mentioned it's it's just good for the game and i think that the fans really appreciate it and they, these as you know so far these are the correct rule changes and machado and he would have been fine but he 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 said what he said but you know the, the truth is fans don't like watching these players take these 30 to 45 second breaks in between and it's not just every at bat it's every single pitch and so again those some of those 12 those, those 10 12 pitch at bats which do happen uh they were they were taken 10 minutes and hopefully hopefully that's that, that's just gone forever
3: We've already seen Boston in three games have the other team have an error with two outs in the ninth. The, the worst one was that McKenna drop for Baltimore. But anyway, sticking in the east, Tampa Bay is 5-0, and and we're not going to crown them just yet, Denny Green. But who do you think right now is starting to look really, really good?
16: Yeah, I mean, the, the Rays, obviously, you know, Wander Franco, you, you look at him and – He was signed by the Rays at 17. He was considered like the LeBron James of baseball, even though he's still completely different. He's about 5'10", 100, maybe 80 pounds soaking wet. But, uh, you know, Wander Franco was was touted as the next great prospect in baseball. I watched his swing, and I saw how level, one of the most level swings I've ever seen before. Not exactly a speed demon on the bases, but kind of like Termar Johnson, who was just drafted by the Pirates this year. But you're seeing that. You're, you're seeing that now, what Franco is capable of. And he's having, he hit a home run today. He's sitting like 600 on the year. I mean, this guy, his, his swing is so level, and his hand-eye coordination is so good. He could hit 400 a couple of years in his career. Like, it's possible. I think it's really possible with, with, with him. And he'll be one of the only players, obviously, since Ted Williams, to do that. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the Rays, I'm, I'm, not, I'm still not super sold on their pitching. Springs had 12Ks a couple of days ago. I don't know if he can keep doing that. McClanahan is a, is an all star as far as I'm concerned. He's got a huge future. They've got Todd Bradley coming up in the wings, uh, but but yeah, Franco is playing really well. I think they have the talent around him with the Rosarena, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that I, I think they can that they can do some some pretty big things this year. So as far as the teams in the in the AL that I'm most impressed with so far, I might have I probably have to say the White Sox. I like what I've seen from them. Um, obviously the, the, the Rays as well, and then the Yankees have been playing pretty well. Now, now they lost to the Phillies yesterday. I think they're up maybe one nothing right now. Uh, but, you know, when you have, when you have a guy like a Garrett Cole, who kind of going back to the Sandy Alcon- Alcantara comment I made, you know, Garrett Cole is a, he's a six foot four, two 235-pound power pitcher who can get his pitches off in 15 or 20 seconds, which not a lot of pitchers can do. And so and he also doesn't have a really long motion. It's just he's he's got a very high high kick, but he's he's an extremely powerful guy. He's got you know a lot of torque, which allows him to hit that velocity. So I think that the the power pitchers who are now able imagine if Randy Johnson was able to just throw that you know that, that ninety seven mile an hour slider at you or that hundred and one mile an hour fastball at you, you know, standing six foot ten every twenty seconds. I mean that would just that would just be nauseating as a hitter. So I think that we're gonna see some pitchers just have some absolutely dominant starts this year with the new rules and rightfully so
3: i'm heading out to a game at the coliseum at the end of the show here the guardians and uh, the a's uh, gaddis will go for cleveland he had a uh, horrendous start uh, after one game these eras are of course going to be really high or really low A nine eight two kyle muller though the opening day starter for the a's um did really well against the potent angels lineup his era is a a one eight right now. It's uh, A's plus one ten. Have you looked at that game?
16: I took a, I mean, anything involving Hunter Gaddis, I look at. You know, he he was the only reason he got moved up is they had an injury, and uh, you know he's about 6'6", 250. I mean, he's a huge guy. He, he pitched really well, and I want to say it wasn't even triple. I think it was double A, and then he got moved up. Um, but but yeah, Gaddis is with a guy like that who has no major league experience. But had but had a, a good month or a good two months, you know, playing 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 at a lower level. You don't really know how that's going to translate. And I did look at his stats, and I thought, okay, he's probably going to pitch okay. He did get rocked his last game, uh, but yeah, this is this is a game where you you know you've got the A's and the A's have this. They have no market respect at all. They have very little. The public perception of them is extremely low. They are at home, but they don't. No one really knows Gaddis. He's got that high RA. You know, with, with Moeller having a low ERA and, and being on a team like the A's and just the, and and how the the general public thinks about them, probably not a game I'm going to touch. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if Moeller pitched well and the A's won the game. Or, but what what I really think is probably going to happen is it most likely goes under.
3: Hunter Gaddis, yeah. Last year, the Double A Akron Rubber Ducks. That was his, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his team last year. Uh, Otani is on the bump. The uh, The Mariners, not off to a great start, but he'll be taking on Flexen, which is what Draymond Green does whenever he scores a basket. Right now, up in Seattle, Mariners plus 150. Interesting. What do you think?
16: Yeah, I mean, I, we know we talked about it a couple of times. I love this Mariners team. They, they won 11-2 last night. Castillo pitched really well, which I thought he was going to. I wasn't quite sure about Suarez. Suarez does get... Does kind of get rocked by that team, but and he did it again. So, but I wasn't I wasn't sure about that game, so I didn't take it. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime you have Otani on the on the mound, you, you have to seriously consider the, the Angels. I mean, the guy the guy obviously is one of one of the the best athletes that has ever played Major League Baseball. He has four pitches. He can pitch ninety. He he can throw ninety to a hundred times with that without much problem, and hit a couple of home runs or one home run in the game, and steal some bases. So you know, I kind of have this—I kind of have this theory that I, I really don't mess with Otani if I don't have to, uh, and I, I'm probably just going to stick with that this time. Although again, I do love the—I do love the Mariners. I think that Tiascar Hernandez was a huge addition for them. He had two bombs last night, which is not a surprise at all. I think Julio Rodriguez is probably the future—the future star of Major League Baseball. But uh, you know, when, when it comes to Otani, I try not to get in the way of him.
3: Last question for you. I know you're a big Manoa guy. Uh, Terrible first start, ERA 13-and-a-half. It's just one game. <laughs> They're at the K, and Zach Greinke is, it's funny, like McCutcheon's back with the Pirates and Greinke is back with the Royals. Um, Right now it's Kansas City plus 158. Any thoughts on that one?
16: Yeah, I already took it. I like I like the Blue Jays' run line first five. Uh, I think Manoa pitches really well. I don't think Greinke pitches very well. Manoa did he did get beat in his first game. He in fact he got beat pretty bad. Obviously with the ERA of thirteen five. But I just don't see that happening a second time. If he does, however, get beat, or if he gives up three or four runs to the to the Royals in a couple of innings, um, then I think it's it, it's it's a bad sign for his future because this guy this I think that his first start was kind of an anomaly, um, and and I expect him to recover well. But on the other side, what it was, Granky, forty two years old. I think that the Blue Jays lineup is just too good. Uh, Brankie's going to have problem with the Blue Jays. Yeah, my play's already in. It's a first five run line minus one twenty five. I believe Blue Jays.
3: There he is, JD Sharp. Pro wagering, prowagering dot Thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it.
16: Hey, thanks a lot, Rick.
3: All right, and um, yeah, I'm always. It's always like always like plus one fifty. It's like, what well, so that means they're going to score one hundred and fifty runs. It's like no. It's sort of like we'll meet you here at uh, oh, tw- we'll meet you here at twenty uh, two hundred hours, so it'll be twenty twenty one thousand hours until tw- now. It means ten o'clock. Like ah oh, okay. By the way, how about Dylan Cease against um, <clears throat> Logan Webb on the south side, and JD Davis with a home run. Ooh, two to one, uh, White Sox right now in the battle of a couple of aces. Um. But, uh, yeah, you you think about, and by the way, Sable getting a start in left field today as well. There's some interesting names as we go through the uh, list. And as I said, baseball. I'm just glad baseball season is back. That's all. By the way, Elvis Andres is hitting ninth for the White Sox, batting 105, which is to be expected. But his next hit, will they stop the game? Will they stop the pitch clock to celebrate 2,000 hits? Probably not. Alright, we got open lines. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Violin.
12: Who's watching? Me who's watching? Who's watching me?
6: Do you have Medicare and do you use a CPAP machine?
1: If
9: you're struggling to keep up with conversations, avoiding restaurants because you can't understand the waiter, if you've got the TV volume way, way up, then you really need these. These tiny but powerful little hearing aids are the Nano CIC Rechargeable. Here's the number. Call now.
1: 800-278-1738. 800-278-1738. 800-278-1738. That's 800-278-1738.
9: Oh, I would love that. And then maybe afterwards we can go field herping. That's when you go out and you look for reptiles.
10: Rick Tittle once threw a tennis ball at a donkey.
3: Thank you for that. And, you know, part of the season, when I used to do the A's pre and post, which I did for parts of eight seasons, nine years with the station. No, I guess it was nine, eight and a half seasons. Anyway, so nine seasons. I basically knew every player in the American League and most national leaguers. But now I kind of discover, like we were just talking about this guy, Hunter Gaddis, this six foot six, 260 pound mountain man called up from double A who'll be pitching against the A's today. And the Giants have this guy named David VR. And honestly, I thought it was Jonathan VR. I just assumed VR. And then I thought he hit a grand slam off Kopech and then another home run. So I had to look it up. This guy was an 11th round pick who was double A player of the year in the Northeast League with the Flying Squirrels. Last year he was Pacific Coast League most valuable player. And now as a starting second baseman he's hitting 267. 3 home runs now.
8: Oh. Plays third base.
3: Third Oh, today he's playing second base. All right. So he's let's just say a utility guy. <clears throat> JD Davis is at third today. Um So who would normally play second base then?
18: Tyro Estrada?
3: Oh, Tyro got hurt. Yeah. I think he hit one off his shins. Anyway, um but this guy's right under my nose, David VR, he he showed up today at the park and he's hitting third. So that shows you what Gabe Kapler thinks about him. Not Peterson, not Conforto, not Brandon Crawford. David VR. And so <clears throat> that's one of the things Now, if I played fantasy, I would already know everybody about everything. That's the one good thing about playing fantasy baseball is you do know everyone. (laughs) But then you can get into these weird situations where you play fantasy where maybe Miles Michaelis is pitching to Matt Olson and you have both guys and it's like, strike them out. I mean, hit a home run. (laughs) Or can you hit a grand slam and have it be four unearned runs? Maybe we could do that. Would that help? (laughs) I remember when Ken Seiko got traded to the Rangers, it was the most pissed off I've ever been in my life for a trade, and I don't think I could ever be more pissed off again. The Cespedes thing doesn't even come close to Ken Seiko. I was so mad that I considered getting a Rangers hat. Considered, but I didn't do it. But I thought when he comes to the Coliseum, I want him to hit four home runs, and I want the A's to win five to four. That's what I want to happen. Let's just say I was mad. Rick, when you said "pissed off," I th- I think we understood what you were talking about. Okay. Um, during the World Baseball Classic, I got to see up close Tyler O'Neill during batting practice for Canada, and I couldn't believe what a little guy he was. But that's the beauty of baseball—you can be nerdy with glasses or a big fat guy like Hunter Gaddis. But the Cardinals lost for the third uh, third time in five games last night. They lost to the Braves four to one, mostly because Stephen Matz, their starting pitcher. Um, got rocked early. Atlanta led 2-0 after the first, 3-0 after the second, 4-0 after the third. Not untenable, It's just four runs. But there was a pivotal play in the seventh inning. Ronald Acuna threw Tyler O'Neill out at the plate from right field. Brendan Donovan singled to right. O'Neal was trying to score from second base. And if he made it home, it would have been 4-2 two with two runners on. Instead, the inning was over. And when you watch the play, and look, if you're at second base with two outs and there's a ball hit to right field, why wouldn't you try and score? Unless you're the slowest guy in the world. Maybe if you're Bartolo Colon. Maybe you don't try. Who hit a home run off James Shields, by the way? thought I'd throw that in there. (laughs) But, yeah, so it's a, a ball hit out to right field. Acuna gets it, probably medium right, and Tyler O'Neill not looking fast, and then he's thrown out by about six feet. And you think, ah, he looked pretty slow there. Oh, but there was so much more to this play because Oliver Marmol, the Cardinals manager, was not happy. And he said after the game, that's not our style of play as far as the effort rounding the bag there. It's unacceptable. Um, In other words, how slow are you, dude? Did he run through a stop sign? No, but apparently he was jogging. (laughs) Is that what it was? Uh, I know that he was looking towards right field. They always say, don't look, it slows you down. But how do you not look? Even Ben Johnson looked to see where Carl Lewis was. It's an old reference. Royds. So O'Neill missed about 50 days with hamstring injuries last year, and he acknowledged having a very tense conversation with Marmal. He said, I just got to get a better jump next time. And I just guess get around the base a little quicker to be in there next time. So Twitter, of course, decided to analyze it from all angles and There's a shot, I actually watched the video from the third deck, and Donovan hits the ball, and when he hits it uh, with two outs and two on, the runner was already going. I don't see. what When I heard that, and then, by the way, he got benched for that. Usually when you get benched is when you're jogging out a ground ball and then the first baseman drops it, and you would have been safe if you would have run a little bit. I bring up John Baker again because he had to talk to Hanley Ramirez with the Marlins because that was one of his problems early after being traded from Boston was that he would dog it, and it's like, dude, you're just hurting yourself. He's like, I know, but to, for Marmol to call out O'Neill for his effort level, I'm a little surprised. Was O'Neill slow? Yeah, would you say he dogged it? No way. I mean, we're talking about a player coming off two hamstring injuries. The season is five days old, and maybe he was walking on eggshells. Literally trying not to hurt himself. It's not up to me to determine what an acceptable effort level is for St. Louis. That's up to their manager. And you just kind of think there's something more to this because Marmel believes O'Neill didn't try his best, and it cost him a run and maybe a big inning. And as I said, he got benched, and he's not in the lineup today. Marmol said, there is going to be a style of play we are going to be known for, and we're going to keep our guys doing it. You stay on the field by playing hard. O'Neill is a gold glover. He's batting two ninety-four. He has a home run, and <clears throat> they moved him to left to get Jordan Walker in the lineup. A lot of people think Jordan Walker has a great chance to be rookie of the year. Six-foot-six, 20-year-old center fielder now. On the regular season so far, he's batting three hundred. Jordan Walker right alongside um, the guy with the uh, diamond backs. There's going to be a few Collins. There's going to be a few guys that are going to be out there. <clears throat> but that is one of the strangest things I've ever seen when you're publicly called out as a manager, and this is, this is what managers do usually. You'll steal home, and then after the game, the, the, and it'd be the most boneheaded thing ever, and after the game, the people will say, the press, why, why did you call for him to steal home? And the manager will say, hey, I thought I had something there. And then later, he'll go to his, his locker and say, You know, I took the heat for you. Please don't do something that stupid again. And then that guy goes, wow, my skipper really has my back. There was a play, I've mentioned this before, but when Derek Norris was on the A's, he squared around a bunt. He bumped it up right in front of the pitcher. He put his shoulders down and dropped his bat, stayed in the batter's box. The pitcher, it hit the heel of his glove. It rolled into foul territory. Derek Norris started running. The pitcher got it and threw him out by an eyelash. Had he started out of the box one iota, he would have been safe. And so I asked Bob Melvin after the game, who was the A's manager at the time, right? And I said, is there a kangaroo court for that? And Bob Melvin said, well, that's going to be your natural reaction when you're trying to bunt and you pop up to the pitcher. He goes, "I, I don't have a problem with that. The great thing about Bob Melvin is he had a huge problem with that run, dummy run. But he's not going to tell Rick Tittle that or anybody else in the media because he wants to get his players back. That's just how it works, but not in St. Louis. To me, what that says, and I'm going to the extra mile here, jumping to convulsions, (laughs) kind of. What that tells me is that Marmol's not a Tyler O'Neill fan. There's something else, maybe just... He's got a, maybe you ever just not like somebody because of their face. I'm sure there's people that don't like my face. You know, they're just certain people. You just like Adam Scott has that a lot. You just want to punch him when you see him. He didn't even say anything. He didn't do anything. Why do you want to punch me? I don't like your face. That's not very nice. No, it's not. But for a guy who's coming home on a ground ball to right. And I, I guess he was waved in. You know there are guys who run through stop signs that are that ruin innings. There are some guys that don't slide, <clears throat> Jeremy Giambi. But this might have been the weirdest one, where a guy got benched for being slow. <laughs> not only benched, but called out and just said, "We're going to be known for a style of play, and that's that's not it." Well, not everybody can be Herb Washington, and so apparently O'Neill is. Like he said, I love the quote. I guess I have to be faster. Yes, you're right. But I'm telling you right now, for that to happen in the first week of the season, if you're a fan of the Cubs or the Pirates or the Brewers or anybody else in that division, now when you see something like that, you'll be saying yes, because there is the summer of our discontent. I highly doubt that's something where, Hey, you know, it's all water under the bridge. Now that one, that one is going to, I don't, I may, might be a month or two, but something's going to come up again between those two guys. There's just, and, and by the way, it could be something where O'Neal never did anything. It's just Marmol doesn't like him. Maybe he said something. Maybe he said some joke. It could be anything. But for a manager to go that public on a play where the guy didn't dog it, he was just slow, that is really weird. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
13: Sometimes when I'm driving on the road at night, I see two headlights coming toward me. Fast, I have this sudden impulse to turn the wheel quickly, head on into the oncoming car. I can anticipate the explosion, the sound of shattering glass, the flames rising out of the flowing
18: gasoline. Right. Well, I have to to go now, Dwayne, because I'm due back on the planet Earth. (music)
10: Tittle ain't the man, but Rick Tittle know who the man is, and he slapped his white fanny.
3: All right, thank you for that. Uh, After a long, I think, long NBA season, we got some really good games coming down here at the end. Last night, my Warriors were playing OKC, and they were down by 10, and I was like, ugh. But they got hot. Pool got hot. And uh, pool is either hot or cold. You love them or you hate them. <clears throat> but uh, the Warriors won. They're now four over. They're a half game up on the Clips and the Lakers, who play each other. And so, <clears throat> like, who do you root for there? It's basically nobody. I hate the Lakers, so I'll go Clips if <laughs> if I have to. But <clears throat> you look at um, the standings now, and these last couple games what, two games left, they, they really matter for the uh, seedings now for the playoffs. And the Warriors are probably either going to get the Kings or the Suns. And by the way, for the Suns, when Durant and Booker and Aiton have been on the floor, they're undefeated. That's only a few games. But the last 20 games where Kevin Durant has started, going back to New Jersey, or sorry, Brooklyn, 18-2. and two. Uh, believe me, Warrior fans definitely know what Kevin Durant can do. Now, it's not to say that the Kings are a pushover because they're not. It's just KD is way scarier than De'Aaron Fox. And maybe he shouldn't be, but he is and he always will be. So, the Warriors finally got Wiggins back. Whether he's going to play Bob Myers, the GM, said we need, he said that basketball is a sport of endurance and stamina we need to get him up to speed and Wiggins said I'm not by the way whatever reason he left I don't think he owes me an explanation because the Warriors are cool with it if the Warriors were really mad at him I might be mad at him too but they're not so I'm not All right, I'm Rick Tittle come on in tomorrow again we'll have Kelsey Cook in studio tomorrow I'm Rick Tittle we'll see you then